Good morning, everyone. I greet you in Jesus' name. I invite you to turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 11. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 11. I want to just read a portion of this chapter beginning at verse 8. <coughs> Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. <clears throat> because of their faith, Abraham and Sarah and all those listed before and after, considered themselves strangers and pilgrims on the earth, that they were seeking something else beyond life here, desiring a better, a heavenly country. And God is not ashamed to be called their God. And He has prepared a city for them strangers and pilgrims. In Genesis, we read about uh, Joseph bringing his father Jacob back to uh, Egypt and introducing him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And one of Pharaoh's questions to Jacob was, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are in 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. He refers to his life as a pilgrimage, the years of his pilgrimage. And David at the end of his reign, when Solomon was made 
king of Israel, and Solomon was assigned the task of building the temple. In David's great dedication prayer, he said this, For we are strangers and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. His life he considered a pilgrimage. A pilgrim is someone who is journeying through a foreign land. That's a dictionary definition. One journeying through a foreign land. And a second definition for that term is a devotee traveling to a shrine or holy place. Now Christians, for Christians, the term pilgrim fits very well. We are pilgrims. And life is a journey through time. We have a starting place. We have many different experiences as life moves on. We make life travel decisions. We may turn right or left or go straight ahead. Sometimes we can be uncertain where we are or unsure of what the next steps should be. Um, people can get lost on this pilgrimage. Christians have a goal, a destination. But we don't know an arrival time. And the Christian life is a pilgrimage toward a homeland. We're citizens of another kingdom. I'd like this morning for us to think about some characteristics that uh, pilgrims would have. There are more, but I want to look at seven characteristics of pilgrims. And the first one that I want to mention is that pilgrims have chosen to be pilgrims. They have chosen to to go on this pilgrimage. We've been studying in Matthew and the Gospels, and in Mark there's a story about Jesus. It's in the other Gospels as well. About Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They must have been pretty close to the shore. That's in the first chapter of Mark. And then Jesus said to them in verse 17, Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. I'm using the uh, New King James version this morning. And they immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. And when he had gone a little farther, here goes Jesus and behind him Peter and Andrew. And they come upon another boat. Uh, and in this boat was John and James, and they were mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their nets and boat and Father Zebedee and followed Jesus. Now, I don't think this was the first time that these men had seen Jesus uh, 
couple of them at least were at the Jordan when Jesus was baptized. And maybe this was only another step in their beginning their pilgrimage. But it does seem to be a significant one. There they were by the shore doing their work. And then along comes this man and calls them. And it doesn't tell us how long they weighed this decision. Doesn't seem like it was long. And they followed him. I am. I'm going to follow Jesus. And there began a pilgrimage that went all through their life till they reached the destination. And so we, we have heard a call. If we are Christians, we have heard a call. We've considered that call and we made a decision. Yes, I need this. I want this. I want to be a pilgrim. Come unto me, Jesus said, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. If any man thirst, come unto me and drink. Jesus calling. Man deciding. We want to be pilgrims. It's a, it's a choice. This isn't a forced march. We weren't coerced. We weren't captured and taken prisoner against our will and forced to march with our hands tied behind us and maybe uh, linked to a prisoner following behind us or in front, in, in front of us. It was, a, it's, it was a chosen following of Jesus. People who tag along, half-hearted, unsure, do I really want this or don't I? Kind of lagging behind, looking back. Those folks are apt to falter. They're at a higher risk of turning out like the good seed that falls on rocky or brambly soil that sprouts and then fails. Or like the Hebrew writer, those that look back have, have a tendency to return if they look back with some longing at that old life, they can tend to turn back to what they left. There are numerous warnings in the scripture about that. But we have made a choice and we're pilgrims on a journey. And it's a wonderful opportunity. It's a wonderful blessing to be a pilgrim, a follower of Jesus. And there are many encouragements in the scripture to make that decision clear and solid that we have truly repented and truly chosen to follow the Savior. That's one characteristic of pilgrims. They have chosen to be pilgrims. And pilgrims have a spiritual vision 
They aren't starry-eyed, brainwashed followers of some cult, but they see things that non-pilgrims do not see. They see with spiritual eyes. In Matthew 11, verse 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Spiritual vision, hidden from those who consider themselves wise, those smart people, but reveal them to uh, babes, to those with childlike faith and openness. And God reveals it to those. So we can see, we can know spiritual realities. We can know the truth and respond to it. We have the truth within us. We have accurate information, God's word. We can see and understand a dimension that our unsaved neighbors, unsaved people that we meet or see, do not see. Similar to the way uh, Elisha, Elisha's servant, saw an earthly army there at the town of Dothan. But Elisha saw a heavenly army surrounding the town. So we can know where we come from. The world may be confused and believing very grievous errors about where man came from, where we originated. We know God created us. We know our need. We know the sinfulness of man. It's a blessing to know that truth. We know our Savior who loves and forgives and transforms His children, who has a design for them and a purpose for them. We know our calling, a life of walking with God in holiness. We know we are citizens of another country of a heavenly kingdom. And we know the end of the journey. We have a hope for the end of the journey to reach a destination and to meet the Lord face to face. Pilgrims don't just know the facts. They believe God's words. They trust God's words. They trust God. They see with spiritual eyes. There's a lot of foggy places. It's not like we see it all crystal clear. I don't. But we are seeing 
and we are seeing as we as we uh, walk with the Lord and fellowship with Him and His Word, His Spirit speaks to us and we see more clearly with time. <coughs> Spiritual vision. Number three, pilgrims. To pilgrims, the earth is a temporary dwelling place. It's a foreign land. The earth is not their home. We read there in Hebrews 11 that these all died in faith, not having received the promises. And they had in mind a heavenly country. And they saw themselves on the earth as strangers and pilgrims. While they're here, this is a strange land. Dan and Chris just got back very early this morning from a foreign land. And, you know, while they were there, I'm sure they saw things. They got acquainted with uh, the compound of different places where they were uh, to some degree, and they were working there, and they saw people, but it didn't really feel like home. And we live here. We work here. But it's not really our home. It's temporary. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves how temporary this is. Paul wrote in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above. The King James says, set your affection. But set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, on the earth. Another translation says, keep thinking about the things above. <clears throat> that, that, that those things would preoccupy us and be more important to us than the things on the earth. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A great truth, an important instruction, and a warning. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that can be, that will be uh, preserved. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. It's not lasting and we're not staying. And furthermore, he says, your heart goes where your treasure is. And if we are treasuring things of the earth, our heart's going to stay here. If our heart treasures 
God and the things of heaven, we're going there. Jesus reminded the disciples about Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. He gave it as a warning to be in the context of being ready for Christ's return. Be ready to leave everything suddenly. Don't hold dearly the things of the earth. Remember Lot's wife. I certainly think of her as a mom looking back to the town and children still there. But there seemed to be more than that that Jesus was warning the disciples about. She must have had things there that were dear to her. We don't know what all. Paul wrote to uh, in Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. It's talking about soldiers there, not necessarily pilgrims, but it fits very well. Pilgrims must endure hardship as well, and they must not be entangled with the affairs of this life that they may please. Him who enlisted us. You know, that rich young ruler that came to Jesus and asked, how can I have eternal life? He recognized that Jesus was an extraordinary man. And he saw Jesus as a source, someone that he could trust with a good answer. Jesus asked him if he had kept the law. Yes, he said. He has kept the law since he was young. We don't know how old he was. He was, wasn't an old man by any means. And Mark says this way. I like, I like what Mark says because it includes Jesus' feeling for this man. Mark 10, 21, then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me, be a pilgrim. But this young man was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He had laid up treasures on the earth and he treasured them and his heart was on the earth and not on heavenly things. And then Jesus looked around in verse 23 and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. That's a good 
warning for us because by any standard, any of us would be wealthy compared with the great majority of the world's population. So Jesus told us that that brings a challenge, that brings a snare, comes with a snare, and we need to be careful stewards. And especially careful that we are treasuring the things of heaven. But this poor man, he was poor. He had many things, but he was poor and he was not ready to be a pilgrim. Another characteristic, to pilgrims, the world is enemy territory. First Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But who does? But he who does the will of God abides forever. And so we are warned by Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, be not, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're in a spiritual warfare with Satan and spirits that rule the world. In the 12th verse of chapter 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The Amplified says, uh, instead of against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness. In several places, Jesus called Satan the ruler of the world. Many of the things that we see, that we hear, around us, and a great deal more that we don't know about 
and are thankful that we don't, are driven by satanic forces. Evil is shouted. Evil is whispered. It is strongly promoted. It is quietly suggested. Uh, just in the past week, I read of a entertainer. I wasn't familiar with him. Just saw this headline and read uh, some of the story. But he was upset. He was angrily ranting against the way the gay lifestyle is being promoted on TV, pervasively, even in children's programming. He said even in cartoons. He said there's a campaign to make the gay lifestyle acceptable and normal and even attractive, beginning with children. The king of our heavenly kingdom calls us to holiness. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, to be compassionate to needs of the earth, of the world's people, at the same time to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And do you think that the devil is only uh, is only uh, influencing and working in the hearts of sinful people? No, he certainly, most certainly has his eye also on the church, on every believer. And he tries in any way that he can whether it's theologians and Christians who are careless and being influenced by the world and the world's thinking to adjust the doctrines and making room for sin, if it's in through ways of worship, through music and drama, various ways. He is getting a foothold and, and uh, influencing and affecting pilgrims. We need to be alert. Jesus prayed about his disciples, his pilgrims. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The fifth characteristic, and we must hasten on, pilgrims aren't traveling alone. Pilgrims travel in groups for fellowship and support and encouragement. And our leader designed it so. He wants us to be in local church bodies. In uh, Hebrews 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another 
in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let us draw near, the Amplified says it, let us all come forward and draw near. Sort of in, that, in, that, uh, in those verses, having the idea that we together are on this pilgrimage. And we have, we're watching for each other and encouraging each other in the, in the Christian life. But most importantly, I'm here to tell us, to remind us that Jesus is with us on our pilgrimage. He is with us all the way. He is with every pilgrim. Hebrews 13, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He is our leader and we are with him. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. There are many huge benefits of having our leader with us as we go on this pilgrimage. He didn't just toss a map to us. He is here with us. He is always with us. We saw in these scriptures what a comfort that is. And He is our helper. We'd never make it without Him. He is our guide. We need direction. We follow and obey His good commandments. He gives us life. That eternal and spiritual life that sets a pilgrim apart. And He protects us from the enemy. As we saw the, uh, this, this world is a wicked and dangerous place and we have an awful enemy who is opposed to us and is laying snares and traps. But close to Christ is a safe place. And, you know, we should, be, we should read the Scripture and we should uh, be aware of the news and the culture and the world around us and be... Um, have very um, a clear understanding of how wicked and dangerous this is. But we sh and, and to be aware of the spiritual battle that we are in. But we should not be pilgrims who are cringing and frightened and darting from bush to bush trying to uh, get through this foreign land with... Uh, uh, just fearful that we'll get smacked and stabbed through with a spear or attacked by some demon or something. Our focus shouldn't be uh, the spiritual battle, but our focus should be Jesus. We should be aware of all of this around us. We must be alert, but our focus 
and our first concern is our walk with the Lord Jesus, our fellowship with Him. And that is safe. And that is a secure place. Number six, pilgrims are messengers. We have a message wherever we go, an invitation to the citizens of earth to join us in our pilgrimage. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Uh, I've often been impressed with that. Uh, you shall be witnesses. It isn't first uh, go do. Go do some witnessing. But be is where it starts. You shall be. It is who we, what we are. Now, I have a lot to learn about being effective. I want to be more effective. But if we are walking with the Savior, we are a witness. Our life, our words, when there's opportunity, We are a light. People notice. That's not, that's just part of our witnessing. But we are to be. We need to hasten. One more thing. Pilgrims have a destination. We have a hope. A heavenly country. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. <clears throat> a wonderful promise. We don't... Uh, I hope we're all looking forward to that time. I hope none of us want to uh, leave before our work here is done. We want to be faithful in our pilgrimage until we come to that place. And we can be so thankful, so grateful there is such a place. Uh, many years ago, Pete Peters was here for revival meetings. Some of you remember that. And one night he told a story about William Borden, a young pilgrim that uh, made quite an impression on me. And um, I dug it up recently to uh, share with you this morning. I'll try to make it brief. <coughs> William Borden was born in, uh, I don't know, late... Uh, 1800s actually, and he graduated from high school in 1904. Uh, just to give you a little time context, he was heir to the Borden family fortune. Is the Borden industry still going? That uh, somebody's nodding his head. 
you know, dairy products and whatever. It was a huge thing. Uh, I don't know whether the Bordens are even running it anymore, but he for, a, for his high school graduation present, his parents, very wealthy parents, gave 16-year-old William a gift, a trip around the world. So he was traveling around the world through Asia, the Middle East, Europe. And as he went, he saw many, many, many needs. It just affected him. And he had a growing burden to help these people. Now, I don't know how he, I don't know how he became a Christian, but he was a Christian. And he decided that he was going to become a missionary, that God was calling him to be a missionary. And he wrote home about it. And one of his friends thought, this is unbelievable. Bill throwing himself away as a missionary. William found out about it and in the back of his Bible, he wrote two words. No reserves. In other words, I have decided that I'm a pilgrim, I'm a Christian, and this is what God wants me to do. No reserves. He came back, he went to university, Yale University actually, and uh, did not act like a rich young man. He gave quite a lot of his money away. His classmates were impressed with his consecration. And he had made, sometime during his college years, he had written this in his personal journal that sort of explained why he impressed his classmates. And it was simply this, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. No to self and yes to Jesus every time. So he went to school with in mind that he was going to be prepared to be a missionary. And he, while he was there, he started uh, a Bible, or rather a prayer time. This was years ago when Yale was not like Yale is now. And many, a large portion of the student body joined in that before the end. And as before he left school, and by the time he was uh, graduating, he decided his call became clear that he should go to the Muslims in China. That was where God was calling him. And he, he never wavered. When he got out of school, he turned down some high-paying job offers in his Bible back underneath uh, no reserves. He wrote, no retreat. He did further study and then he sailed for China. And because he was hoping to work with Muslims, he stopped in Egypt. And to study Arabic to help prepare him for his work. And while he was there, 
he came down with spinal meningitis. And within a month, he died. 25, 25 years old. And sometime later, uh, somebody was looking through his Bible, and sometime before he died, he had written this in his Bible underneath the words, no reserves, no retreat, he had written no regrets. And then we're sure he went to a city not made with hands. Pilgrims choose to be pilgrims. What a blessed privilege that is to have been called, to have the option of choosing to be a pilgrim, a servant of Jesus Christ. And how grateful we are and what a responsibility we have. We, have, we see with a, a spiritual vision. God has blessed us with that. And we want to see more clearly when we want to do our part. We see the earth as a temporary place. And we want to be carefully uh, careful in our time here that we don't get distracted and bogged down with the good life here and with life here on the earth. And we need to remember that this world that we live in is enemy territory. It is dangerous and wicked and so opposed to um, our Savior and Lord and to the, to the kingdom of heaven. And, and we have a message for, you know, this terrible world is a mission field. And we are missionaries in some measure, some degree. God would want to use us there. And we have a destination. Let's give ourselves, let's give ourselves to this calling without reservation, never turning back, not looking back to the city, the country we came from, but always following the shepherd and going forward. And God promises that we will, if we are faithful, we will not have regrets when we come to the end. May God bless us. Shall we have a closing song?